At approximately the same time Latag was sitting down with Lamotte, her father, Shring, was recording something in his multi-communicator with the idea that someday it would be able to transmit into deep space again, or perhaps he fo be found when a rescue team finally arrives. In his recording, he mentioned a new development. I have seen the first self-propelled vehicle. We've observed it from our mountaintop as it slowly made its way along the old dirt wagon road. This will prove to be a problem as the technology will quickly improve and soon these vehicles will be able to allow the earthlings easy access to our forest. I feel we have only a few dozen of their years left before there are no places left to hide. While three of the original crew had died, the one uh, mated couple on board had reproduced. Neem, his second-in-command, and Calf, his mate, had a female child who was now a toddler and who had shown some disturbing signs. Still, the remaining nine of the crew wandering over a vast for forest would be helpless should the locals become aware that they were really there. Apparently, only a few believed uh, Shrigs people actually existed, which meant that not many were actively looking for them. He also mentioned that for the most part, the locals were not comfortable away from established trails. They simply didn't like blazing paths through uh, the woods. They probably lacked a strong sense of direction. In fact, it had been several of them got lost, and while his first instinct was to try to save them, he knew that it would only bring in masses of hunters. So he sadly watched as they died from exposure or starvation. Without a thick coat of hair, these locals were at the mercy of the weather, which was not always kind to them. Kopf's first experience with humans had been a traumatic one. Just after landing or crashing, depending on one's point of view, they had walked out of the woods to greet the locals. They shot arrows at them, one hitting calf in the leg. There must have been some contamination from the humans on the arrow as the wound got infected, and it took three earth years for it to heal. Even now, years later, it still bothered her from time to time. Shring and his crew sat under the towering tree with one thick red reddish bark, green needles dropping on them from time to time, tall ferns creating a green chamber, making them feel hidden and safe. With him were Lepti, Nimli, and Flood. Lepti was his brother. Flood was a navigator and his cousin who had managed to find this woe-begotten planet. Buried miles away was their disabled craft ironically still filled the capacity with the stuff they intended to trade here, stuff now completely useless. Nimli was an incredible engineer. Give her a few scrap parts and she could build damn near anything. Case in point was their new monitoring device, something they used to listen in on the Earthling's new technology. The new technology went by the name wireless, or occasionally radio. It was a primitive electronic crude version of their multi-communicators, making it pretty easy for Nimli to adapt it. It seemed from listening to the communicators that these folks were obsessed with violence and war. They were a scary race, and any attempts to do business with them ended when they first arrived and tried to introduce themselves to the earthlings in the village. Their efforts had been answered by arrows that caused injury and death. 
every other planet they had been to had residents willing to talk often to trade with them, but not this one. Any chance of sending another message home, asked Ring. Nimbly shook her head. The strange magnetic field. We were lucky to communicate as long as we did. We're on our own until a ship arrives. She was still young, attractive, unattached, and her hair almost a honey blonde. Shring hung his head and, and his eyes looked deeply uh, sad. The hair on his neck had started to turn white, the first indication that he wasn't young any longer. The responsibility for the mission and for the lives of his friends rested on him. Lefty, feeling a little down, said, we are beyond the recognized perimeter, so it's very doubtful anyone will come for us. It's likely we will die here. Then he gazed off into the distance. Shring said, I want to believe I'll see my sweet little girl Lawtag again. She's probably grown up by now, maybe with children. I wonder if she still thinks of me. Flood had been monitoring and suddenly jumped up. Some of the earthlings are close. We should make for that cave we found. Stay out of sight for a time. They gathered up their belongings and started out, single file, through the dense forest, moving with a silence that didn't fit with their huge bodies. Once in a cave, they con contra contacted the other group, hiding a half-day's walk away. They had long decided that they were safer in two small groups, groups that could move quickly and disappear into the forest. These two groups had been wandering over a seemingly endless forest, a forest that was shrinking due to the earthlings' intent on cutting down these fine old trees. As agreed upon intervals, the two groups would assemble, discuss important items, and reconnect. These earthlings seemed to use the trees for building things, and few of these fragile little creatures with metal implements could rip through a forest with frightening speed. They had apparently not realized how important a healthy forest was to their ultimate survival. Nor did they seem to understand that trees communicated and had a rich social life. 